This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. Over the past week, you must have read reports of violence in various districts of Manipur. On 3rd May, the clashes broke out in Manipur, showing videos and photos of angry mobs setting properties on fire. On May 4th, the army was called in to assist law enforcement after a curfew was imposed in 8 districts of Manipur. The state government reported that 60 deaths have been reported because of the violence in the state. This time the fight was between two communities. Metis the inhabitants of the valley region who are in majority and the minority Kuki tribe who are the people of the hills. But here's a twist. There are parallel narratives. The Metis and the Kukis present conflicting accounts, but at the core it all boils down to two contentious issues: land and demography. To understand the festering issue, we will first have to understand the composition of Manipur. Manipur consists of 16 districts. Manipur has a distinct Imphal Valley and Hill districts. There is the Imphal Valley dominated by Metis who are Hindus. There are 5 districts in the valley. The Hill districts are dominated by Naga and Kuki tribes. Churachandpur which saw the most violence is among the Hill tribes. The Kukis and Nagas are Christians. Kukis dominate 4 of the Hill districts. Metis are about 53% of the entire population of the state but occupy about 10% of the area of Manipur. Manipur is home to 35 tribes mostly Naga or Kuki. The valley is the most populated part of the state as it not only has people from most of the tribes but migrants from other parts of the country. The rest of the population is scattered over 90% of the land area in the hill districts but these districts have reserved forest areas. The immediate violence broke out after a tribal solidarity march that was organized in the 10 hill districts on May 3. The tribals marched to protest against a high court order. The court order directed the state government to consider the request of inclusion of the Meithi community and recommend to the Union Tribal Affairs Ministry by 29th May a scheduled tribe tag for Meithis. Now as per the law, the non-tribals are not permitted to buy property in the state's hills. This effectively restricts Meithis to the Imphal Valley because they do not have a scheduled tribe status and this is exactly what they have been demanding. This does not bode well with the tribals in the Manipur hills. One of the apprehensions of the tribals is that if the Meithis are given scheduled tribe status, other ethnic groups, many of whom are Christians, will not have a fair chance for jobs and other benefits. On 8th May a bench headed by Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachud observed that there were several orders by the Supreme Court stating that the High Court does not have the jurisdiction to direct changes in the scheduled tribes list it's a presidential power the chief justice told Sanjay Hegde who represented the petitioner before the Manipur High Court after his observations the Congress General Secretary Jairam Ramesh said and I quote In light of what the CGI has said it's astonishing what a single judge of Manipur High Court did triggering such a human tragedy he added that the center cannot escape its responsibility for the violence in Manipur and though the tribal solidarity march was the tipping point in the friction over land demography and tribal status that has been festering between the metis and kukis for decades Now that there is some easy calm in the state for the past few days it's time to sit back and understand not only historic origins of the violence but what measures can be taken in the future 
I am your host Sneha and I spoke to Professor Kham Khan about all that has not come out of Manipur yet. Professor Swan has closely studied the conflict in Manipur and is currently the head of the Department of Political Science at the University of Hyderabad. So the trouble in Manipur appears to be simmering since March and April and Delhi uh, kind of took 5 days to understand what's happening in Manipur and it is only now that we know there what's happening and you know uh, newspapers have now kind of started reporting the news in in its front pages and we have probably still i feel not understood the issue completely uh, how are you viewing uh, the mainstream media coverage on manipur i think uh, the set of uh, you know reportage which in effect are very interesting uh, not only for uh, people uh, someone like me or people from northeast india who have a very intimate understanding of northeast india and for that matter manipur uh, there is one uh, kind of reportage which seeks to uh, project you know the riots that unravel in manipur as a conflict uh, between the hindus and the christian and which essentially the attribute to uh, the uh, instigation of christianized insurgents you know against the hindus so the table is turned around as if uh, the violence or the riots was instigated by uh, the uh, christianized insurgents to kind of destabilize not only manipur but also india at large therefore not very surprising but also quite predictable but this uh, kind of reportage is quite misleading and distort what actually unravels in uh, in manipur and there are insider reports uh, which you know also unravels as well as explicate the multi-layered nature of conflicts and there are independent newspaper which uh, continue to maintain this integrity in terms of uh, validifying or validating you know the uh, the, the facts uh, or the kind of uh, you know they they filter the rumors or the false narrative created around this uh, current spate of uh, violence and communal rights as it were so in that sense it's a kind of mixed reportage some intimate uh, knowledge and some are still very very superficial knowledge which are not very helpful and uh, you know our deeper understanding of manipur and for that matter more recently uh, professor right now the conflict is a fight between two communities so to say uh, can you uh, historically uh, trace the conflict in manipur right now Uh, what is the role uh, you know the central government and the state government um, they have in the current uh, conflict i think this current conflict has to do with the immediate context of uh, a kind of a counter mobilization by the tribals against the meiti tribals forum demand for settled tribal status and this was the immediate context in which tribals uh, in churachandpur and other hill areas and affect stage a series of peaceful uh, protest rallies and the latest of which was in uh, churachandpur and other places on 3rd of may which in effect uh, led to a stray incident where the driver of a truck you know tripper truck uh, hit uh, a, uh, a bike and thereafter ran over a stock of water bottle cap for the peaceful protester and these and in fact once it is circulated in social media has uh, generated retaliatory threat 
uh, attack against uh, you know the cookies uh, uh, by uh, attempt to provoke uh, the uh, residents in and around Leisang, Torbung, and Tangwa areas by putting up tires of uh, of trucks uh, by you know burning those tires to demolish and burn up the uh, Anglo uh, Anglo uh, Koki uh, War Centenary Memorial Gate. So that's the immediate context. But as I said, the larger context is the increasing sense of insecurity and fear that the tribal have on the concerted attempt by the state as well as Meite civil society, which are increasingly majoritarian in snatching away tribal lands, which are given protective uh, protection by Indian laws as well as the constitution. So this anger amongst the tribals have been brewing up, uh, but uh, what unravels uh, in the incidents following May 3rd, in effect, reinforce the fact that the state, in collusion with you know, frontal media civil societies, are determined to use this as a proxy to, or, or, or as a ruse, in effect, to oppose uh, the aggressive agenda by sanitizing Imphal areas where substantial uh, uh, proportion of the Koki and Zomi uh, people live. And this is evident in the series of events that unfold because on the very first night when these uh, protests un- uh, uh, generated a series of counter-retaliatory uh, attacks and a series of uh, communal riots, uh, in Churachanpu district, Sulet site order was imposed. But in the Imphal and Valley areas, for the full night and the next full day, no suit at site was ordered. This was seen by the tribal now as a deliberate as well as calculated attempt by the state in connivance with frontal Métis organization to unleash and accomplish their long-standing project of obliterating all records of land titles that the Kukis and Zomis have in the Imphal and Delhi areas. And I, I, I think to the, to the extent that uh, the uh, civil society as well as rectic mobs had uh, with precision, you know, executed extensive arson as well as erasure of, uh, you know, public records on land titles suggest that this, uh, uh, you know, task has been more or less accomplished by, by the very best community. So it is quite unfortunate. And this, this is quite complex. Uh, uh, and uh, another thing is that at the, at the uh, initial outbreak of violence, uh, there was this concerted attempt to project as if it is uh, a religious conflict between the Hindus and the Christians. Uh, and the kind of signals that you got on the very first night when these uh, riots spread like wildfire across the state is that all the valley bears erected mobs targeted extensively, you know, burning of church in uh, in uh, in the valley areas. And they have succeeded so far in burning down four to one churches, which is quite quite unprecedented, and that could not have been possible without the support and complicity of the state. And and that is precisely why uh, I, for example, uh, argue that the nature of conflict has transformed from one of ethnic cleansing to one of genocidal attack, because the kind of precision with which this project was executive, executed uh, certainly demonstrate the surgical plan as well as strike that has been in the office for, for quite some time now. Also, uh, 
a closer reading into this gives an impression that there are parallel narratives of marginalization i see that both cookies uh, cookies and you know methis believe uh, that they are marginalized in some sense and there these narratives are running parallelly so how do we make sense of it i think one of the ways uh, you can look at this is marginalization is not a one way traffic right it is both ways it flows both ways and one of the grouse or the grudge that the methis have is that the constitutional scheme of thing is quite biased uh, given that they consider themselves to be tribe on the same lines as most of these cookies and zombies are right and uh, and and the very fact that because of the influence of hinduism since the 18 early 18th century uh, he, uh the uh, methis have uh, transformed quite drastically over time and the caste varna system is equally as rigid and as notorious as in other parts of india whereas in the hills we do not have that kind of certification of society along caste lines so uh the constitutional scheme of thing therefore envisages that on 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 some of these rights as well as law pertaining to land for example tribals have spe- special preferential treatment because they are given the right to own land both in the valley areas as well as in the hill areas this is not something which is unique or specific to manipur alone it happens across nodis in the where tribal society are spread but also in the so called fifth settled areas outside nodis in the so that's a kind of agreed constitutional scheme of thing that our constitution makers arrived at in 1949 and 1950 when it was implemented it has become you know the cardinal principle governing matters pertaining to land rights Professor Swan explained that Methi people in Manipur felt that due to the high population density and limited land area they were facing significant demographic pressure they believed that they occupied only 10% of the geographical area of Manipur while around 60% of the population lived in the valley areas further exacerbating the pressure on the land as a result the methis felt marginalized and sought additional space and territories to elevate the demographic pressure they were experiencing though not all the members of the methi society support the demand for scheduled tribe status this is because some perceive tribes as ritually impure i think the real desire is not so much of the desire to settle down in the hills because the hills are difficult place right because of the topography and because of the unproductive as well as infertile nature of and as well as the landlock and difficulty of access nobody wants to move to the hill locks uh you, you have a kind of patient as well as capitalist dreams that got on this which in effect very strangely more or less coincide with you know the india's lucis policy right you have strategic opening up of borders uh more being one and recently behang being another whereby they are considered now increasingly as you know the gateway to southeast asia and the potentialities of trading activities there in those trading posts in more in uh, indo myanmar border as well as behan are quite huge and some of these capitalist minded metis who, who in fact now more or less dictate the terms of political discourse in manipur in collusion with armed insurgent group based in the villages try to kind of see 
you know, civil tribe as a very attractive platform to further their political as well as economic agenda. And that is precisely why you have this, uh, you know, kind of attempt, concerted attempt to uh, camouflage, make this greed to capture economic as well as political resources across the state by coming out with a set of grievances that they had been you know, discriminated by the constitutional scheme of things. So this is something which is also very complex and the multi-layered nature of contestation has also got to be appreciated. Land we know that in a lot of ways is coming across one of the important factors. Uh, a lot of this is also about land. In what ways has the state government failed in its approach to take everyone into confidence? We know that uh, the chief minister has taken some decisions like, for example, uh, conducting a land survey, right? So what, uh, you know, which even the experts say, in fact, fueled the anger in some sense. So what are the apprehensions uh, about the survey? Yeah, you see, uh, the uh, manner as well as the ways uh, or the methods adopted by the state government was uh, deeply suspicious from the very beginning. Because uh, when the Biren Singh and his BJP-led government uh, sought to undertake this survey, uh, they uh, asked all the tribal chiefs or villages to deposit their arms, which is the flintlock guns, as it were, right? And uh, and and this is seen to be uh, concealing a larger political project of disarming tribes, just in case any eventuality happens, right? And this is now unraveling now in the uh, ultimate preparation for this communal class. People are now beginning to say that this is a larger plan hatched by the state in conspiracy with some of these majoritarian-minded Métis based in the Bali areas. That's one part. The second part of this is that all these land surveys suggest that survey of land has not been conducted in the hill areas, which in a sense reinforces the fact that hill areas are kept outside the purview of land revenue as well as land survey, which is a case not only in the context of Manipur, but also in Meghalaya, in, in you know, tribal areas of Assam, as well as in Mizoram, because cadastral land survey are not allowed, have never penetrated into these tribal areas because of historical reasons, right? Professor Suvan explains that in areas governed by separate customary laws, the land belongs to the people rather than the state. The Indian Forest Act is being used as a pretext to conduct a survey of unsurveyed land, which includes tribal lands. However, established procedures state that if unsurveyed land falls within the tribal territory, consultation with tribal traditional institutions is necessary. So all these procedures are apparently floated in the whole attempt, the overweening ambition of Biren Singh as well as his government to kind of declare a substantial part of hill areas into forest areas, that is, reserve forest, protected forest, and wildlife sanctuary. And that is precisely where the contestation happens. And the tribals, in effect, take strong uh, you know, uh, 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 resentment as well as opposition to such initiative, which amounts to lawless law enforcement. Okay, and uh, we also have followed that in 2016, the uh, the current uh, central government 
proposed peace talks in Manipur. They made, quote-unquote, the insurgent groups and the state government a party in these talks. The state government uh, on March uh, 10th, uh, in fact, you know, proposed ending the peace talks, uh, but, you know, and then after that we saw that, uh, you know, all of this happened. So can you explain how is this, uh, the cabinet decision, uh, the state government's decision to kind of propose cancelling the peace talks with the say, with the central government and then the denial of the central government on it. How is this connected to the current situation? Good that you, you point this very pertinent point because this is also somehow uh, intertwined with the larger, you know, political narrative that was brewing up over time. So, uh, one of the, the immediate context in which uh, the state uh, uh, sought to you know, suspend the uh, the the uh, agreement, what we call the suspension of agreement, because this is a tripartite uh, agreement between the state government, the armed groups, as well as the central government, right? So is that they were spontaneous, popular, uh, tribal release organized in different hill districts. And the major release in March was organized in Churachampur as well as in Kankati. And when there was police access and attempt to kind of, you know, uh, dissolve those uh, uh, peaceful tribal protests, they were kind of retaliatory, re retaliatory uh, skirmishes that happened between the peaceful protesters and the police, where uh, some police personnel were injured and uh, the protesters were also injured. And that was used as a pretext by Biren Singh's government to kind of over-generalize the whole peaceful protest as if it was instigated by parties of this suspension of operational uh, agreement, right? Yeah, and also we've seen newspaper reports. They say that, you know, there is frustration among tribes and the central government's apathy is one of the reasons, uh, you know, for it. Uh, and we know that the BJP in the previous elections got a majority of votes from the hill areas in Manipur. So what attempts uh, do we know that the, that the government has made uh, to take the tribals in, into confidence in those areas? Uh, post the elections? I, I think one of the, uh, you know, uh, purported attempt made by Biren Singh when he became uh, Chief Minister of Manipur in 2017 was that he tried to salvage, uh, salvage the Hills Valley Divide by coming out with his rhetorical political concept called Go to the Hills. Biren Singh, the Chief Minister, embarked on extensive tours in the hill areas, inaugurating developmental schemes and projects while also holding cabinet meetings in Hill District's headquarters. However, Professor Swan says that people grew suspicious that these efforts were a ploy by the government to co-opt tribal civil society organizations and the individuals, leading to divisions and enabling aggressive integrationist agenda. This suspicion was confirmed in 2017 when Singh inaugurates the Chandrakirti Park at Shivu near the Indian-Myanmar border, further solidifying these concerns. Some of us, including myself, for example, wrote uh, about the, you know, problematic way in which uh, Biren Singh tried to resuscitate or revive an old historical wounds. Given that Chandrakirti Memorial Park was sought to be insurrected in a place where the local population, the Zhou people, 
have this deep grouse that this was the same place in which one of the prominent tribal chiefs was treacherously arrested and put to death by the then king Chandrakirti in Impalzea. Uh, despite a strong undercurrent of popular protest and opposition, Viren Singh successfully navigated his integrationist project by co-opting prominent tribal leaders. Uh, and we have also seen that the Kuki People's Alliance or the KPA has spoken out against the church eviction drives uh, by the forest department among, you know, among one of the reasons uh, also as a form of persecution. I also read that the Metis are 60% of the population with a lot lesser land and no access to hill areas as we know. Uh, what are we not still understanding uh, and, you know, understanding within this polarized debate? As I keep on saying, uh, as I keep on maintaining, uh, this has to be seen clearly as a concerted, uh, you know, manipulation of narrative built around the grievances that the Métis have against, uh, you know, constitutional scheme of things, which they see as highly discriminatory. But the kind of religious projects which got intertwined with integrationist project is a calibrated attempt by the majoritarian minded, I do not say that all Métis are communal minded, but considerable segment of Métis society are now deeply communalized. Professor says that targeting churches is seen as a strategic approach to further the integrationist project of the BJP in Manipur. The deliberate demolition of churches without following established procedures is considered sacrilege and a severe attack on the tribal communities, he says. He adds that the demolition of three churches in April occurred in early morning without prior written notifications, which is required by the Public Building Eviction Act of 1972. This act mandates that the occupants of the public meetings to be demolished must be given sufficient time and a chance to appeal against the notification. The lack of adherence to these procedures highlights the gross unacceptability of the actions taken by the authorities. But the way in which the lawless uh, way in which this is implemented is bizarre, to say the least, because the officials, whether it is uh, the forest or revenue officials who came around 4 p.m. in the night or in the evening to, uh, sorry, not in the night, but in the evening to ask the occupants there. I mean, you have usually a pastor uh, quarter there. You have, uh, you know, uh, a quarter for the chowkee there. So mostly... In those stars building, you have the family of the pastor as well as uh, the chokidars, you know, attached to the church. And they were given warning and asked to vacate the place because eviction was coming, right? And they asked all these three church pastors as well as chokidars asked the official sent to notify them that they should wait till the next day so that they have sufficient time to evacuate the properties as well as the sacred materials inside the church. And suddenly what happened is that without waiting them, the demolition was suddenly implemented in the dark, right, at around 3 a.m. with full armed security protection. So all this, in effect, you know, unleashed a lot of angst, anger, frustration about the lawless uh, way in which they are treated as if you know, encroachers, they are illegal occupants, despite the fact that all these three chairs have what they call dark chitha. Dark chitha is a paper document 
which also amounts to some form of state recognition of the title on which the churches were built. And, and given that these churches had been running, you know, for example, EBCC church had been running since 1974. And, and the fact that the state also was very biased in selectively denying all the tribal church from being regularized. Remember that there was this uh, uh, interesting case of Gujarat, the state of Gujarat versus the Union of India case in 2009. And the Supreme Court in its judgment, in effect, dictated or asked all the state governments either to regularize as well as to review you know, the legality of those documents and initiate proceedings for eviction. And in light of this since 2010, when the state government conducted a series of reviews of all the churches as well as temples constructed on what they call khas land or governmental lands, 188 Hindu temples were regularized. And not a single church was regularized. And we have a systematic demolition of tribal churches, which also reinforce you know, the sense of lawlessness of the state. And people thought that the state had not been uh, even-handed in its treatment with its citizens in the state. And that, in effect, also prepared the ground for this institutionalized riot system that we witness in Manipur. My last question to you would be that what should be the government, both the state and the center, uh, do to kind of uh, quell the fears of the community and resolve the conflict? How are we seeing this conflict hereafter? I think one of the ways that uh, the central government should do is that they should dismiss the chief minister. And accountability has to be fixed. Because until accountability is fixed, the trust and legitimacy of the BJP government is not going to be restored anytime soon. And, and that in, implies that president rule is imperative. Because despite the fact that more or less they are relative calm and peace, uh, uh, unlike the earlier uh, you know, uh, days uh, when uh, this uh, wide-scale riot writing happens, you still have possibilities of stray as well as sporadic incidents as the theater of the conflict shifted to the peripheral areas. And this is very, very scary because this is now uh, a situation where many of these erratic mobs on both sides of the device begin to have access to police armories. And if any sporadic incidents of class happen, this is likely to be very little as well as virulent. And, and, and the, any stray incidents of violence in any peripheral areas could have a blowback and would reactivate the whole institutionalized ecosystem and repeat the wide-scale uh, you know, communal rights. And, and that is precisely why I thought that it is important that President Rule, keeping uh, Manipur under President Rule, could be the immediate as well as the only plausible uh, uh, you know, uh, way to forestall any uh, further demise to the state. That's one. The second thing that uh, I think would be very imperative is that given that the very ideational as well as geopolitical foundation of Manipur is now badly bruised, as well as, you know, uh, second by this uh, communal violence. And given the deep-seated sense of hate, as well as suspicion that has seeped into 
the minds of both sides of the divide. And this would, in effect, ensure, for example, that one of the ways in which we can break this, uh, you know, deep-seated heart, deep-seated sense of heart, deep-seated sense of uh, head or suspicion would be to possibly start truth and recon reconciliation commission in the form of what Desmond Tutu in South Africa did. And I think there has to be concerted attempt across community as well as political leadership across the divide that there has to be sincere acceptance of the truth about the nature of this violence, the, the cause of this violence, and that the culprits of the violence should be prosecuted and held accountable too. And this, I think, can only be done when an independent judicial commission, which is directly monitored by the Supreme Court, investigated into the cause and consequences of all these writings that happen and hold those culprits to account. I think unless this is done, there would be no final closure to this uh, whole, uh, whole, whole uh, enmity between the hills and the hills. Part and finally, I think, I think this has to be forced reasoned debate. In proper information and full information should, in effect, guide the future uh, political discourse in Manipur. Otherwise, you cannot allow emotional outbursts as well as greed, which masquerade as grievances, you know, to dictate the terms of political discourse. Otherwise, you cannot maintain political stability. And uh, there are clear evidence in other deeply divided societies in Belgium, in Canada, in Switzerland, in Luxembourg, in Netherlands. You, you, you have this as a set practice in those deeply divided societies which are deeply polarized that when there is no consensus on public policies, there are elaborate institutional arrangements for power sharing, right? Which we call it as consociationalism. And until and unless this accommodation is framework are accepted as the legitimate foundation on which political discourse or policy frameworks are crafted, I think Manipur may not see stability and peace. And that might unfortunately create to the rupture in the political unity between the hills and the valleys, uh, unless you know this is accepted as a valuable as well as a durable good, something which is not uh, dependent on the vicissitude as well as the you know strategic interests of, of of the minds of the majority-minded uh, media society. Uh, I think with this, we come to the end of the conversation. Thank you very much. I think it was a very, very comprehensive uh, explanation of uh, things on ground, the entire situation, which I think I have not found it elsewhere in my research also. Uh, and I think it was fascinating uh, connecting with you, uh, Professor. Thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you so much, Neha, for having me on board. I hope uh, I explicate the nuance and the complex layered nature of Thank you for listening to this episode. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now.